Hey, welcome back to another episode of the ASAP Podcast. I'm Scooney. And I'm Megan. And this week we're going to talk about a pretty serious subject, um, mental illness. Something I think we've both dealt with in our lives. I certainly have. I know you. I'm currently dealing with it. Yeah, I probably am too, to be honest with you. Um, when I was about eight years old, I was diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder as well as bipolar disorder. That's intense. It is intense. Um, I know back then, as opposed to today, I think, those diagnoses were thrown around a lot more than they are today. Well, I could be wrong about that, but I felt like the, 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 it was just more of an issue back then with people getting those diagnoses. I think there's definitely been a major phase and continues to be a bit of a phase of over over diagnosing ADD, ADHD, especially in little boys. Yeah, I would um I would probably agree with that. Yeah. But you know, I, I definitely have exhibited symptoms of those illnesses throughout the course of my life. You know, when I was um, younger, um, I had a pretty bad temper, and perhaps I still do to some extent. I've just learned to control it a lot more. You know, an interesting thing is I mentioned in another episode, I believe, uh, about how, you know, I quit smoking marijuana. Yeah. And in the time that I've stopped, one of the things that I noticed that was a complete surprise to me, it was not something I saw coming ever, was the change in my mental state for the positive. You know, um, I quit smoking because I wanted to get the job that I had or that I have. Um, and I knew that in order to do that, I needed to quit. What I did not expect was me to not only be okay with not smoking after having done so for 23 years, but to actually feel good yeah. not smoking. Because you thought when you were smoking, like, you're like, this makes me feel good. Right. If I stop, I'm going to feel worse. Yeah, I thought I would, you know, long for it. Now, I'm not going to lie. Like, do I think about, man... Like smoke another joint sometime in my life someday. Yeah, I think about that. But by and large, I'm fine with not smoking. Like, I've never thought I would just be okay with it, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of what drugs do, especially like marijuana. Um, it changes your perspective of reality a little bit. Like, any sort of intoxicant does that, the way, the way you view it. So, you know, different drugs do different things. And if you're smoking marijuana all the time... And you have been since you started when you were so young. Right. You didn't really know a world outside of having that in your day every day. Because, you know, even every day you can smoke and you will get on, you like, you will come down from that high. Right. So you do experience reality, but on some level, it's still kind of all fogged together. It is. And in the last, you know, decent number of years of me smoking, uh, like, I don't think it was just the fact that I smoked that was a problem. I think it was the amount, how often I smoked. And, you know, because yeah. I was, I mean, any of my friends that know me will tell you I was a straight up pothead. Yeah. I mean, it was, let's get high before the activity, during the activity, and <laughs> after, after the, the activity. activity, you know. And so I think uh, in hindsight, I see how it was probably affecting me more negatively than I wanted to believe at the time. 
You yeah. know, I'm not anti-marijuana, not in the slightest, right? Everybody's different. And of all the drugs out there, the drug spectrum, if you will, marijuana is the least dangerous. Yeah. And that's going up against legal drugs and like all, alcohol. Absolutely. I was going to say, in all reality, if there's a drug you have to do every day or that you do every day, hands down, marijuana is like gold star. It's not going to mess you up the worst. No, you're not going to... I hope at least break into somebody's house to fuel your marijuana addiction. No. You're not going to, you know, you might break into the UDF to get some freaking like sour cream cheddar cheat, like chips and stuff. Like, but yeah. So, not, but you know, if you suffer from mental illness, I think it's probably true that drug use has the potential to, um, make it worse, make it worse. So there's that. But, um, you know, even though I quit smoking, I don't sit here and deny that I still suffer from mental illness. I clearly get hyper. My attention span is like the length of a mouse's butt hair. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, uh, it, but I think the ADHD, I think it kind of works to my advantage. You know what I mean? People, if I'm not all bouncing around hyped up, people are, what's wrong? What's wrong, man? Right. Are you okay? You know, See, that's one of those funny things though, is just because you have like ADHD is a good example. Like it's attention deficit disorder. Like it's just, there's a little bit of chaos in there. So it's hard for you to pay attention to things that you find boring. If it isn't captivating you and holding your interest, you're just like, fuck it. I want to do the thing that I want to do. Right. But when you get to the thing that you want to do, you have got like hyper focus where you yeah. go in hard and you're like, this is, ex you know, and you dive in and some people can never capture that. So no. it's a blessing and a curse. It is. It is definitely both of those things. And I with think. like conventional schooling, it's oh, so, God. it's so not in your favor. I was not friends with school. Ooh, this is a weird little side story real quick. So, you know, growing up all through uh, like elementary school, middle school, and even into high school, like I was in, because of my diagnoses, I was in um, behavioral classes or special ed classes mm -hmm. or whatever. If I remember correctly, when I was younger, they used to call it SED, so, um, or SBH, I'm sorry, it was Severe Behavioral Handicapped. And then I believe towards my high school years, they changed it to SED, which was severely emotionally disturbed. Oh now that, that could be a false memory, but I'm pretty sure That's that was That's not going to give a kid a complex at all. Yeah. Right. And so, but I remember using that to my advantage, if you will. Right. I, I remember thinking like, well, if I'm I emotionally disturbed, yeah. well, no, I would be like, if I'm emotionally disturbed, I'm going to act emotionally oh, disturbed. I see. So I hated school. Right. I, so you like embodied it. Basically. I embodied it. I was. Oh, it gave you a complex. That's literally what it did. I purposefully caused a ruckus just to try to get kicked out of school. I mean, I have so many. That's that's another episode, really. But <laughs> so many stories. Um, but yeah, so I never. I never mainstreamed in high school, meaning I never went class to class when the bell rang. I was in the same classroom all day long um, with the one teacher and a teacher's aide and the same group of kids, some of whom were on drugs as strong as lithium. I've been wow. on things like, let me see, I've taken um, Prozac. These are the ones I can remember. Prozac, Depakote, Zoloft, Ritalin, um, this thing, I think it's called Amemphramine or something like that. And... Um, one other I cannot remember the name of. The, these pill names sometimes are, are crazy. 
But um, I've been on, you know, a, a handful of drugs, both, you know, antidepressants and mood stabilizers. And one was even classified as an antipsychotic. I believe that was the yeah. Depakote, um, which did not react well with me the two times in my life I was prescribed it. But, um, you know, when I was young, I went into counseling um, and all that stuff. Um, and honestly, like today I sit here and I think none of that stuff helped me help me. And again, I'm speaking about me personally. I'm not trying to project my experience on anybody else. Right. But for me personally, none of that stuff helped me as much as stopping smoking weed did, you know? Um, and I think again, so were you smoking weed while you were on all these other medications as a kid? For most of it, I started smoking weed when I was 12 years old. And when did you start? When did they start giving you prescriptions? Well, I was diagnosed at eight, either eight or nine. So just a few years later, I was starting my journey with marijuana, you know, so most, and then, and I'm 35 now, you know, about to be 36. Um, and, uh, I think, uh, yeah, so for most of my life, um, I was it's kind of a dual smoking thing. weed. Yeah, yeah, it was it was in when tandem did you, with each other. Now I know you took medication more recently as an adult. When did you stop taking medication when you were younger? Honestly, there were multiple times. Um, I would refuse to take pills. I could not tell you how many times I flushed a certain medication, um, which is probably horrible for the environment. <laughs> But, um, you know, in a, in a fit of rage or depression or, um, desperation, um, to need, need to have some sort of control. It's exactly what it was. It's exactly what it was. You know, I, I did that. And, um, so I was on and off with medicine throughout most of my teenage years and even into my twenties and early thirties. Hell, the, the last time I took medicine period for, Either one of uh, my disorders, uh, if you want to call them that, was probably in early 2018, early to mid 2018. So it's been over a year since I've taken any medication. And honestly, like, I think marijuana has helped you the most. Yeah, stopping, like smoking. stopping smoking. Again, I say that, and I and I don't want that to come across like I'm telling everybody like marijuana is just bad and it's going to be bad for huh, you. Like yeah. I don't believe that. But again, for me personally, I can't sit here and lie. You know what I mean? Right. I feel better, and I, again, I think it's more to do with the fact that I smoked a lot of pot. I mean, I was I was almost constantly inebriated. But the the truth of it is, is you also have a mental illness. Somebody who doesn't have a mental illness and smokes right. weed, they probably wouldn't even have those same adverse effects or a different type of mental illness. The, the fact is, when it comes to something like weed, there are plenty of people who function just well and are quite successful and do everything they're supposed to do. and <laughs> Do way just, harder things than weed. Yeah, the, the, yeah. So, you yeah. know, weed ain't that bad. But mental illness, um, that can be a bad thing if you do not um, take care of it properly. Yeah, and it's interesting because um, when I was younger, I wasn't actually diagnosed with anything. Now that I'm an adult, I've had um, like severe depression, uh, PTSD, and um, kind of a non-100% confirmed but pretty sure it's a thing, ADD. Um, when I was younger, apparently my, my mother told me that uh, my uncle who was a doctor, or my uncle at the time who was a doctor, said something to her about, you know, maybe I was ADD. And 
she's, and she never told me this, but it's one of those, as I've gone through life, I kind of have always just recognized that I think a little differently than other people do. Like I say things that most people don't come up with and they seem surprised when I say it, you know what I mean? Right. So there's always been this level of like, I think a little differently, Um, but I could never put my finger on it. And she told me when I was around 25, 27, somewhere in there, oh yeah, uh, they had said when you were younger that they thought you may be ADD. And all of these things kind of clicked into place because the symptoms for boys and girls, um, or, you know, the middle ground, non-gender specific, whatever, there's a spectrum of the way it affects you. Um, Boys tend to show much more hyperactivity where girls, it almost manifests more in like organization. It's kind of like an interesting, like it's just kind of different. They notice that in girls, it shows up later in life. So boys, you're kind of really hyper when you're younger and girls are a little more, you know, just different in their own little way, but they're not really displaying it as hyper. Right. Um, but whenever you get later on in life, it tends to affect women more once they start establishing their own home and their own routines. That's when they start having more issues. You know, I've wondered many times in my life um, how many children get diagnosed specifically with, say, ADD or ADHD um, just because their parents don't want to deal with them being a kid. Yeah. Now, I hate to come off to anybody sounding like I don't believe in those uh, mental illnesses because I do Obviously believe in them. You know, um, they they definitely exist. Um, but and I wonder or have wondered if I was one of those kids that got, you know, just my parents were like, oh, I can't deal with this. So, you know, let's get a doctor to give them some pills. I don't know. You know what I mean? Maybe I'm really these things. Maybe I'm not. I'm I'm sure you were a hellion on some level. I was definitely a hellion, you know, Um, but. And sometimes parents are just like, I don't know what's wrong, but clearly something has to be wrong. It seems like it's broken. Right. Right. (laughs) I think um, the the criteria for diagnosing and um, just the diagnosis diagnoses in general have gotten much better obviously as time has gone on on. yeah so you know that's definitely not to discredit uh mental illnesses there are clearly mental illnesses out there in the world um and bipolar on its own can absolutely be a a a debilitating uh, mental illness you know i have heard stories and talked to people who suffered way more than i ever did with that disorder um, another thing, um, that I haven't mentioned yet, uh, when I was growing up, this started in my teenage years, I would self-harm. Yeah. I, um, Very common. I would cut my, my arm. I, I never sliced my wrist in, in order to try in an attempt to kill myself. Yeah. I do have attempted suicide, um, in my past. I've tried to hang myself. Um, can confirm one time, um, much to my regret, I, in front of my parents, I put a knife to my throat and threatened to cut my own throat. I was on Depakote at the time uh, when that occurred. And as I stated already, that medication did not react with me favorably. It does not sound like it. So there were two times in my life where I've been um, institutionalized, if you will. One is I was 15 and I was on Depakote. I was put into a hospital here in Columbus, Riverside, uh, which is where I was born, actually. They have a, a mental health ward. And the other time I was put into a place called NetCare Crisis Center. Um, I'm sure you know what it is. I'm more describing it for people who may not. <laughs> right. But um, 
I was actually court ordered into that place and pink slipped. I was on a suicide watch. That was the uh, during the time when I put that knife to my throat. Um, and both of those times I was on Depakote. So regardless of anything now or in the future, I will definitely personally never touch that medication again. I wouldn't if I were you. No, it sounds like no, it does no, not no. work well. Um, but yeah, I've heard stories of people who um, have done some really extreme things um, because they had a bipolar mood swing. So it's definitely not something that should be taken lightly. It's definitely not something that I want to talk about in a trivial way. Um, so I just, um, if I am in fact bipolar, I do not have it the worst you could have it. And for that, I'm thankful because I know some people who really suffer and it breaks my heart. Right. And the thing is, is the thing about mental illness is it's so hard to like really diagnose especially whenever you're young and that's why i do have kind of an issue with them giving kids these kinds of drugs because your brain is not fully developed till you're 25 years old 25 like right. when you're giving eight-year-olds 10-year-olds 15-year-olds like hard drugs like lithium yeah. and shit like that that you cannot predict what's that that's going to not just do to the kids actions but to their brain long term right um, the reality is just when you're diagnosing mental illness, bipolar and borderline personality, there's a lot of crossover there. There is. There's a difference between bipolar being a chemical imbalance and like a personality disorder, which is more of like a trauma and action based. Like one of them you can treat with drugs that are going to affect the chemicals in your brain and the other one you can affect you can affect with therapy and actual behavioral therapy and relearning social skills. To, they're so closely intertwined, like you could easily have just been borderline personality and they were giving you hard drugs. I actually, I actually had, um, I think it was a therapist. Um, and I think it was when I was in, yeah, it was when I was in net care. Um, that second stint with, uh, the medication Depakote. Uh, I actually had, uh, it was either a therapist that came in to see me in my room or the doctor or something like that, but that was the first and so far only time that it was mentioned to me that I might be um, BPD, you know, I might yeah. have borderline personality disorder and not bipolar disorder. And that's why the medications weren't um, affecting, you weren't right affecting me in the right way. So. Who knows, man? I'm just a little bit crazy, I guess. But, yeah. um, you know, I haven't self-harmed in years. Um, I'm currently not using any medication. And over the past year, um, really don't see... Well, it's been over a year since I've used any medication. But um, it's been a year since I stopped smoking weed. And I don't see um, any reason why... I need to change anything else other than not going back to being a, a, a raging pothead. Yeah. You know? Yes. And the, as long as it's being managed, that's the thing about like a disability is it's a disability when it negatively affects your life to the point of like chaos and destruction. Right. right. Kind of the so, definition of disabling. Yeah. Right? You are is a disorder. <laughs> like, so you can have mental illness and, and, you know, thrive and do what you need to do. Like I do deal with depression, um, I don't take any medication for it. I've taken Prozac for it before, and that did not work for me. It right. actually threw me into a, like more of a suicide spiral, um, and that's probably the lowest that I've gotten. And that was culminated with just like a lot of things coming to a head. Like, and that's the that's kind of 
what happens with mental illness, it becomes a perfect storm where it's like all of these dominoes are kind of falling at the right time. Sometimes, sometimes it's a sustained chaos you've had forever. And then sometimes it just slowly creeps up on you and throws a bomb in your lap. Right. So like it's in, it's, that's why it's so difficult. And you just kind of always need to monitor your own mental health and like ask the questions of yourself. Like, you know, how am I feeling and checking in and stuff like that? Because even like you've said, you've dealt with this your whole life. Um, and I've dealt with depression my whole life on some level. Like I've always kind of had like a, you know, a rough kind of go um, in that department. And I think ADD also tends to, um, whenever people have ADD, especially like undiagnosed, they deal with a lot of depression because there's this whole feeling of like, I'm really smart and I know what I'm doing, but for some reason my life keeps falling apart and you can't figure out what it is. And it's just you almost self-sabotaging or getting stuck in this crazy cycle. Um, but but yeah, it's it's just very important. And one of those things that I don't think gets enough attention in general because it's it's so taboo to talk about. It is. Um, there's definitely a stigma, um, a lot of stigma surrounding mental illness in general. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people who suffer from mental illnesses, be they severe or mild, um, or both, uh, like a roller coaster, like bipolar disorder can be. Um, you don't look sick. You yeah, look fine. You look fine. You know what I and mean? And you don't know you're suffering from it. You just feel bad all the time or people around you are upset with you. Like, that's one of those things. Like, if you live a life where people are pissed off at you constantly, chances are you've got some sort of mental illness. <laughs> Most people can go through life without having a, a group of people around them constantly just angry at them and, and mad. You know what I mean? Like... If you're surrounded by negativity, sometimes there's a square root and sometimes it's the fact that your head's a little fucked up and you need some help to figure it out. Well, yeah, I think I think that's true. I think it can go both ways on that, though. I think if you're surrounded by, you know, negativity and you feel like shit, maybe it's because you've surrounded yourself with negativity, you know, so it's it's tough, right? Like there's a lot of gray area with mental illness, with things like depression, like um, are you just sad? Because I mean, look, we all get sad. We all get happy. We all get angry. Um, it's the sustained amount of time. Yeah. It's, but what's the limit on that? I mean, I suppose at a certain point it becomes obvious, right? Like right. if you've been sad for a years. month straight or years or something like that, and you've had happy moments in your life that didn't change it and, and whatever, then yeah, clearly something else is going on there. I think it kind of but also I, comes down to how do you feel when you're alone? Like, how do you feel Bored. when you sit with yourself? But it's like, it's, there's a lot of things though. Like some people, when they just sit alone by themselves, they just cry. Right. It's like, Hey, that's a sign that something's going on. You need to talk to somebody. Yeah. You know? And you know, not, not everything is going to require, you know, taking pills. Maybe you just like, like you said, need you to need talk to talk to somebody. to somebody, you know, be it a friend or a professional, a family member, um, just you know, there, there really is like so much. I think also there's so many like types of mental illness that surround connection and communication. Like we are social creatures. We're supposed to like have this back and forth and this, you know, in, like inner social in a good way, in a fulfilling way. And like you were saying, if you're surrounded by negative people all the time, um, that can that can really start to make you feel so disconnected and really kind of exacerbate those feelings. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely can. And I mean, a lot of harm can come 
to an individual from not recognizing and addressing their own mental illness. But at the same time, a lot of harm can come to others um, if people do not recognize and address mental illness either in themselves or in people around them. You know what I mean? Um, Let's see. I got a a site from uh, the Mayo Clinic. I think most people know who the Mayo Clinic is. Um, If you don't look it up. Yeah, look it up. They have a reputation. Some of the uh, harmful effects of the stigma surrounding mental illness, according to Mayo Clinic, um, can cause a reluctance to seek help or treatment, um, which is definitely bad any way you look at it. Um, A lack of understanding by family, friends, coworkers, and others. Fewer opportunities for work, school, or social activities or trouble finding housing. Um, It can lead to bullying, physical violence, or harassment. Um, health insurance that doesn't adequately cover your mental illness treatment and the belief that you'll never succeed at certain challenges or that you can't improve your situation. I mean, look, these aren't just debilitating things to an individual, right? They're debilitating to our society as a whole. Absolutely. Let's take, for example, you know, the um, shootings that happen in America, the mass shootings, Perfect the ones example. that get the ones that get media attention right yeah. now. We're not going to go into to a, a discussion and a debate about, you know, the shootings themselves. I'm just going to say that you hear mental illness cropping up every time. Now, are these people mentally ill? Obviously. Maybe, well, I would say level. I would say maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. Right. You can. To me. No normal human being is going to think it's a good idea in any way to take a gun into any place and shoot up a bunch of people. Like there is a level of either you're a freaking psycho or you're crazy. So it's like there is some sort of illness there. Well, here's here's my thing. Like it's it's hard to define what is normal. Now, clearly you can say that shooting up a place and killing people is absolutely not it. But as far as a diagnosable mental disorder or just somebody who based on their influences through life and the picture of the world they've created for themselves hates certain people or certain things. And I don't think you have to be mentally ill to be full of hate, but I I don't don't think that you're not necessarily mentally ill to do something drastic and extreme, you know? So it's really tough for me. Right. But my point in bringing it up is, you know, the media, the politicians in this country, um, they they want to talk about uh, mental illness. Well, to be fair, one side wants to talk about mental illness yeah. and the other side wants to talk about gun reform and yeah. they stick to their to their storylines. And I think you can't have both conversations at the exact both, same time. Yeah, like both need to be adults. addressed. But I think the problem is the way mental illness in relation to these mass shootings is discussed in popular culture gives a negative outlook um, of people who suffer from mental illness. Like, Absolutely. It, like me saying I was diagnosed bipolar. Somebody out there might go. Now you're a risk oh, to society. Now I'm a risk to, to be the next mass shooter or something yeah. like that. You know, um, it's not it's not that way at well, all. It, the reality is that usually when you're suffering from mental illness, you are the one who is the victim in the situation. It's usually your life falling apart and you like people are more harmed to you than you pose to them the majority of the time. Right. Yeah, I'm definitely, even though I've done a lot better 
um, recently in my life, I'm absolutely more of a harm or harm more of a danger to myself than I am anybody else. Like I, I was never the kind of person I've never been the kind of person to, um, want to get physically, um, into a physical altercation with somebody else, you know? Uh, I always try to avoid fights, arguments. That's that's a different story. I will. I will got, in, there's a difference between words and fists. I will indulge you until the proverbial cows come home on an argument. But You're just not um, going to be the one to throw the first punch unless somebody grabs me or puts their hands on me in a threatening manner. I tend to not get physically violent with people. Inanimate objects in my past, <laughs> definitely different story. Eh, maybe not even in my past. I definitely. Um, punched a thing or two um in the last year just in a oh damn it moment you know what i mean but not broken it or anything else like i think that's relatively normal again it seems like a guy thing yeah it's just sometimes you just gotta just get it out i I don't understand it like i when i was younger i did have a few instances where i would like smash something or kick something i had a couple of those uh, in my, you know, more raged out moments, but I, I do not really find any pleasure in punching things, but I have heard from most guys that I know there's something about it. Yeah. I don't really, um, I, I can't say I like it either. I mean, it, it's kind of an in the moment thing, but I, I definitely don't like pain in that sense. You know, um, there are certain types of pain and certain levels of pain. We won't get into that, that are quite okay, (laughs) but, um, definitely not like, Oh, I just, you know, busted my knuckles open or broke my hand, which I've actually never done. Um, busted some knuckles open for sure. Never broken bones from any dumb thing I did on purpose. Um, but yeah, it's just, um, it's something I wish that I would never do, but some, there are just some moments when you have no, other release, you know, then, you know, there's actually, um, places you can go now. I, off the top of my head, don't know any of them Rage or where they rooms. are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah where you can, they'll give you like a baseball bat and a room full of televisions and mirrors and tables. And you just go in there and break everything. That sounds <laughs> See, like it could be fun. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen those and they definitely look like they could be interesting. Um, I, there's this uh, problem is, is anytime I see things like this, I always end up seeing the counter to it. And I saw some sort of experiment, which I've looked for and haven't been able to find again, where they tested people in rage rooms and then they tested people in like peace rooms. And then afterward, they did some sort of test to test like how angry they were and people who raged got more More angry angry. and the people who were calm were less angry. I won't, I won't argue with that there. It's, um, it's. It's reinforcing, right? You reinforce a feeling with your actions. You push it into the extreme. Or you reinforce your actions with a feeling. I mean, I I would assume it could go either way. Um, but yeah, there's that. And then I think, I feel like it kind of ties into that use it or lose it. So if you're mm-hmm. using the part of your brain that, you know, produces Ride the it. rage, Ride it's, it's going to get more and more um, intense as life goes on and become easier and easier to trigger that. So yeah, I, I could definitely I think it's also see like, that. I see, I think the chemical rush is addictive also though. Like, oh yeah. It's another drug. It is exactly. It's because I think most people go through life existing and whenever you are in those moments of such heightened feeling, you are living. And even if you're living violently and in a toxic way, you're still living and you're getting those feelings that you don't have the rest of the other time, you know, the rest of the time. Right, right. Um. So let me see here. Our world 
data, ourworldindata.org has a table breakdown of mental disorders um, by the number. And let me see here. Let me just go to one that I personally suffer from or at least have been diagnosed with, and that would be bipolar disorder. So it says the share of global population with the disorder as of 2017 is 0.6%. Um, the number of people with the disorder, 2017, is 46 million, and they even break it down male and female. The share of males and females with the disorder, again, 2017 numbers, 0.55% um, males and 0.65% females. Wow, so you're actually higher <laughs> than us. Yeah. You crazy, crazy fuck. What are you I planning bet, over there? I bet it's what are you a planning? lot of emotional like trauma that. stuff. <laughs> it might be. Yeah, it might be. That's actually surprising to me. I don't know why, but it is. I'm actually not surprised by that. I think, um, I don't know. I think women tend to have, a, like, there's a lot expected out of us as far as life stuff goes. And I think it can create a lot of, like, neurotic thinking. So, I don't, I, I can see it. I know, like, I know out of the women I know, I would say that I know more women who are more on the neurotic, overthinking um, kind of side to where the, I, I feel like there would be more anxiety. There'd be more disorganization. There'd be more um, like senses of an inadequacy, depression, things like that. I just see more women have that than I've seen men. Men deal with, you know, mental illness, obviously, like, you know, there it goes, but... I wonder if men maybe just... Um, they hide it a lot they more, They hide too. it a lot more. You it know, comes men, out in different ways. Men are definitely, uh, by and large, told and taught that you deal with your own emotional problems mm -hmm. and, you know, tough it, tough it out, you know? No um, crying, rub some dirt on it. So here's, it a, here's another interesting thing on the ourworldanddata.org website. We're going to have to put this link up when we post this episode. Yeah. Um, it's got an, a map here that shows by color. It's got every country in the world um, from 1990 to 2017. Um, the share of the population with mental health and substance use disorders and I am not surprised to see that the whole of the United States, it's not the only country, but the whole of the United States is at the high end of that um, graph, the 20% or higher, um, which it's dark red in color. So is mm. Canada, though. Um, it looks like parts of South America, Australia, um, some parts in Asia and Europe. Um, but yeah, that, that's an interesting, interesting little thing there. People have to check that out. Yeah, for sure. So what has been, um, you know, have you ever thought about, like, what contributed to to your um, struggles, we'll say? Um, you think it's just, Mike, were you always like that? Or do you think... Um, well, because I, think I think if the ADD, cause that's the thing, it's not officially, it's one of those I haven't taken a test yet, um, but based on all of the symptoms, all of the signs, people that I know personally, male and female who have it, there's just this crazy similarity where I'm like, oh my goodness, I think exactly like you. So I'm pretty sure if a doctor kind of pointed it out that I'm, I am. 
So yeah, I could see I could see you being the ADD, not the yeah. H, not no, the hyper. Not hyper. You are not hyper. I at have all. my moments, but I'm not generally a hyper person. I could bounce around you. You like, are much more hyper, like than Flubber I am. from the movie. <laughs> and my Flubber. older brother is very hyper, so I think that's it's also we're just oh, I'm yeah. used to your energy. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I can definitely see that in him. Well, um, but I think the ADD uh, probably some sort, you know, the different types of traumas I have been through as far as like family dynamics and stuff. Um, I think a lot of those things kind of culminated in a base level of like depression, anxiety. Um, not, I'm not obsessed. I'm not OCD, but I definitely like things to be done my way. You know what I mean? Like I don't get obsessive where I'm like, you know, check the door three times and make sure you look in the oven four times before you go and flip the light switch. I'm not that kind of an OCD person, but right. Not clinically obsessive, but I am meticulous in the things that I do. I'm a very much a perfectionist in the things that I do. Um, see, I don't think there's anything wrong with, uh, I mean, but if it becomes becomes, obsessive, if it becomes unhealthy. yeah. 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 And it's one of those, I just, I check myself with it and, that's good. And I have friends like you who have no problem being totally blunt and honest about your opinion <laughs> to where they're like, just fucking stop, Megan. You're, you're fine. Like, just, just quit it right there. Stop, now, bad girl, stop. I, you know how many times I've been told that I'm OCD? Again, now I'm not clinically OCD. Um, yeah. Everyone like, that's the other thing about mental illness. They throw, Everyone people likes, throw it around. Yeah, oh, I'm so OCD. I'm like, bitch, you don't know what OCD looks like. I've right. seen OCD. That's just crazy. Like, yeah, a girl gets upset or something people will be like, oh, my chick is bipolar. You know, it's just ridiculous. Um, but no, like I have definitely had moments where more than a few where yeah. I'd be walking out of my room or something like that. And the corner of my eye, I'd catch like the top of the dresser and it'd be covered in dust. And I'm like, oh shit. And I just got to wipe that off real quick. I know my phone screen, the glass phone <laughs> hey. screen. I cannot tell you how many times a day I wipe that thing on my boob or my pant leg. Like it's constantly just because well, you know what? every just, smudge. Yeah. You just don't like, you just don't oh, like your shit being all dirty and nasty looking. There's nothing me. wrong with that. It bothers me a lot. Well, the reason I, I asked that, um, I've got, uh, another website here, the, the Kim foundation, you know, we'll, we'll put up all these, um, sites that I'm mentioning. Um, yeah, because we don't know what we're talking about. We have to refer to other people. Well, we, we know as much as we've experienced personally, <laughs> at least, but definitely we're not professional on the topic but you know some of the causes of mental illness so genetics genetics can cause i mean you you are your genetic makeup right genetics um hereditary things you know can cause it depression is very hereditary right right infections um certain infections have been linked to brain damage and the development of mental illness um brain defects or injury yeah injury Um, is big paternal damage so things that happen when you were still a fetus in your mother's womb can affect you i mean it is on the surface right but at the same time it's not because you are surviving off of whatever it is your mother is putting into her body a parasite yeah your chemical and genetic development wholly depends on her genetic makeup her chemical makeup and what she is and taking into her body, be it yeah. smoking or doing drugs or the types of food she's eating. She likes or sushi and she's the, just giving you those bad fish toxins. Yeah, the the mother has a tremendous amount of responsibility, um, but it's not like if things don't 
come out perfectly that you are a bad person. You know, you did something yeah. horrible or something like that. Like you, you just, but there's no way to predict. <laughs> I'm sure there's they no feel. way to predict, um, all the possibilities, you know what I mean? But other factors here can be poor nutrition, um, exposure to toxins, um, such as lead and, um, parasites, tapeworm. Did you yeah. know that, that was a big thing in the South? You know, that like whole cliche, dumb Southern hillbilly kind of thing. The a huge reason was because of tapeworm. It was really? like, yeah, it was like an epidemic down there to where it like slows your speech. It like makes you like it literally affects your ability to learn things. And people just started calling them what dumb Southerners. Or yeah, something like. it's but so... everybody was infected. There was like 60 percent of the population had wow. fucking tapeworm or something. It was something crazy like that. Don't quote me at 60 um, percent. Some other some other things that can cause um, mental illness are psychological factors um, like severe psychological trauma suffered as a child. Uh, emotional, physical, or sexual abuse, um, an early loss, like a parent, losing a parent. Yeah, I actually sure. have a dear friend of mine who lost both of um, his parents at a young age. And I'm, I know, I'm not even sure. I know that that has affected him. Um, it still Absolutely. affects him, you know, um, neglect and um, poor ability to relate to others, you know, so just maybe having um, a lack of social, um, social skills, yeah. um, stressors that can trigger an illness in a person who is susceptible to mental illness, uh, could include a dysfunctional family life, which I'm sure most of us can say we've had living in poverty that, that would go back to the whole nutrition. If you're not getting the yeah. right nutrients, um, not only when you're developing, but at any point in your life, you're it's, going to degrade essential things in your body and brain. It's also things like, you know, classism where you're looked down on and you may, you're made to feel lesser than, and whenever you feel, whenever you feel like sadness and depression and those types of things, like it really carves neuropathways in your brain to make you kind of stay that way. Right. Like, and and if you don't get treatment for it, like if mental health, if we had mental health in this country and people could. Well, better mental health. Yeah. Right. Well, accessible to literally everyone, regardless right. of how much money you have in your bank mental health. Um, if we had that and you could start getting treatment for things when you're a kid, like if your if your parents are going through a divorce um, and you're a three, four, five year old kid, you can actually go and get counseling mental health counseling and learn like family dynamics and really keep things in a healthy way all the way through with help people who can help you you know what i mean like that can affect a whole lifetime right um mentioning divorce significant life changes mm -hmm. um that would definitely be a significant life change for a child to have their parents not just a child the parents too yeah um split up yeah no you're absolutely right there um and social or cultural expectations can put a lot of stress on somebody who is you know, already susceptible to having a mental illness. And, and that's another good point. I think not all mental illnesses are something people are born with, right? Absolutely. You can develop these things as you move on through life. Um, schizophrenia is a good example of that. That is something that a person is susceptible to genetically does not mean they will develop it. But if they do develop it, it typically does not come about until what is it? Your twenties, mid, mid to late twenties. Yeah. Mid to late twenties. I personally know somebody who was schizophrenic. I he is as well. He has since passed away. Unfortunately, I miss him dearly. Um, he was never, that's another one that has a huge stigma around it right it really now. Does. It's obviously a very debilitating, or it can be a very debilitating disease. Absolutely. Um, 
But not everybody who suffers from schizophrenia is prone to be a violent, crazy psycho. No. You know, perfect my, example is the person that I know is schizophrenia is one of the gentlest people that I've ever met. Right. Same. Same with my friend. Um, you know, I, it may have been because he was on medication. Now, another mutual friend of ours knew him before he developed. Um, schizophrenia, you know, so he had comparisons. He could make comparisons to how this person used to be and how they were now. When I came into this individual's life, they had been diagnosed with schizophrenia and were on medication for it. Although I cannot attest to how regularly they took it or anything like that. All I can say is I never saw one smidgen Right. of violence in this person. I mean, he would look out his window sometimes when I was over at his apartment and I'd be like, what are you doing? And he'd go, I think someone's going, he lived in an apartment complex, right? So they got dumpsters, not individual yeah. trash. He's like, I think someone's going through my trash. I'm like, man, ain't no one give a shit what's in your trash. And he just <laughs> kind of giggle at me. And I'm like, sit your ass down. And you could be like that with yeah. him. And he wouldn't, you know, but he definitely naturally would have those paranoid it's because um, they delusions. can't separate reality no, they from can't. their brain. And like and it becomes it becomes just part of their reality. Like they right. see things you don't see. Right. They hear things you, you don't, don't hear. hear. Like it's um and it can manifest in different ways. Like actually, um I'm thinking about it. I actually know three people that I've talked to and had lengthy conversations or personal relationships with uh who suffer. Um one or two men and a, and a girl, um, and all their experiences are similar, but also different. And like one of them, uh, they just kind of constantly hear a little background noise. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, some have full blown, complete, you know, into delusion. They're completely into the delusion. Nothing really is sinking into reality. Um, but it changes depending on their brain and like the medication they either are or are not on because not so, all medications work. It's so complicated and complex. And you just like, to me, it's one of those, I see people demonize them and it breaks my heart because I'm like, you, you haven't seen the suffering that these people are going through. You know what I mean? Like right. they are the victims in this and to not want to help them just kill. I don't understand it. Yeah. It, it's, it's definitely, um, tragic. I think, my personal opinion, what what is more tragic in a lot of cases when talking about any mental illness is, I mean, not, not just the illness itself, but again, going back to the way it's perceived by the greater population, yeah. the way it's talked about, the way it's treated by the lay person, you know, that is almost more tragic than the, you know, illness itself in it's a, a lot of cases. It's propaganda almost. Yeah, it's just because these people are made to feel like they're, you know... Um, they're broken, you know, and yeah. their their worth is somehow less than people who don't suffer from that. Right. And that's just awful. You know what I mean? Now, thankfully, in my experience, I have had, um, you know, my, my parents start with my parents, you know, although at the time I was, you know, pissed a lot about them putting me on this medication or sending me to this doctor or this therapist, you know, I, I just wanted to be a rebel and resist, you know, yeah. now that I'm an adult and I look back, you know, I realize obviously they were just trying to do what they thought yeah. was right. And they cared for They loved for you me. and they were trying to keep you safe. Right. 
And, you know, as I got older, I thankfully developed a group of amazing people as friends in my life that supported me. I mean, when I went through my bouts of depression, you know, I had people there for me. You know, nobody ever um, really judged me uh, or made me feel like shit because I felt like shit or, yeah, unaccepted. And unfortunately, not everybody has that. Maybe most people or a lot of people it's don't have that. It's hard to have, have a network that. in life. It is. And it's so important to have one. I mean, I had um, a friend that would hold on to my medication for me. So I would not um, throw it away. Yeah. You know, um, I, I I had friends who um, would sit with me for hours if I had some kind of panic attack or something like that yeah. and just make sure I was okay. I mean, I'm forever grateful for the support I've gotten. Um, but I'm not blind to the fact that a lot of people lack that. And again, that is probably to me more tragic because so many of these issues could be not fixed. I mean, most mental illnesses, um, maybe all are things that people are going to deal with for most, if not all their lives, you know, but they could be managed. They could be managed, right? If these people had access to help and a support group, because having one and not the other is not necessarily going to be the key. Yeah. And I think I talked about this in the drugs episode that we did, but, um, there's the, I'm pretty sure it's in Switzerland. They had done the experiment with heroin addicts to where they legalized heroin. And if you wanted it, you had to come to a clinic, they gave it to you and then they would send you off, but you were enrolled and you had to maintain a job. Like they gave you a job. They gave you a sense of purpose in the community. They gave you, you know what I mean? Like they, they rehabilitated your life to give you a social network, to give you that human connection again. And yeah, drugs were involved, but obviously, Obviously, when you're turning to drugs, it's usually because you have some sort of mental illness you're, you know, suffering from. Um, and that's the truth is a lot of mental illness is just lack of exercise, lack of social connection, the wrong diet um, and basic things like we get so wrapped up in life. We get so wrapped up in um, the minutiae of waking up, get the kids ready, go to work, sit in traffic. You're angry about that. And then you're annoyed at the job that you have because it doesn't fulfill you at all. And then you go home and you're expected to do this and everything is terrible. And then you go to bed and you do it tomorrow. You know, like it's 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 perpetually bad um and not having any ability to manage that right it just keeps it just keeps you in the bad it does you know i I have said uh, quite a few times in my life that we have created a world where we have more things to do than we have time to do it in and that creates a a tremendous stress on all kinds of people right um man yeah right (laughs) And, um, you know, while I will admit I am not the kind of person typically to go towards like a completely holistic um, approach to anything, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, I'm a big proponent of science. You know, I accept science. Um, That doesn't mean that every scientist that says anything and everything is correct all the time. Yeah, I believe everything you say just because just because you have a white robe on and a Ph.D. (laughs) No, I'm not. You know, I'm not blind but um there should be a general consensus generally where most yeah, people agree generally most speaking i accept the science behind things that science has studied so and that being said i i accept that there are instances and reasons to take 
a modern Western medical approach to treatments and things like that. But I think that, you know, you know, just based on even what we've just talked about here, um, these, these aren't things, mental illness is not something you're going to just, um, manage or take care of, or however you want to word it, um, with one approach, you know what I mean? Uh, A medication, um, and access to a doctor is not necessarily going to be enough if you don't have the support outside of that doctor's office, outside of that therapy session, you know? And I think that it's also true that if say your diet is whack, you're not getting the right nutrients or you are just your reality is you live in a a crime ridden neighborhood that's, um, you know, got a lot of violence around and your family is, you know, really dysfunctional and there's violence at home or, or just, you know, insert any negative thing in life there. And that is your reality. That's going to negatively impact your development in some way. Right. And it's going to act against whatever else you're trying to do. Yeah. To cope it's or manage. It's nature and nurture. Right, exactly. So I think that, and I think um, modern medicine, um, speaking generally here, has gone more towards uh, mixing, right? Yeah. A Western medical approach, i.e. medicine. To. Yeah, with a holistic, like, what, because there are symptoms and there are causes, you yeah. know, and oftentimes... We have gone after the symptoms, right? And we just worry about the symptoms and we never even try to think about the cause, let alone address it. Well, that's a, it's exactly the point of like, you know, people who are depressed, usually one of the first things that people are suggested is diet and exercise. It doesn't matter if you're overweight or not, but if you're not eating the right kinds of stuff and you're not moving your body in a way, like, cause people forget mental illness is your brain is attached to your body. If your body is unhealthy, if you're not actually moving, like we evolved as hunter gatherers, we evolved as people who moved all the time. We used our bodies. We are a society of fucking lazy ass people sitting in office chairs and in cars and all the time now. And semi-trucks. And semi-trucks. Yeah, it's Don't just, leave me out of this. I know, right? It must be included. Um, but it's true. Like, So we don't use our bodies in any capacity the way that we used to. Um, and... Also, like we aren't eating on any sort of a holy, like whole organic, natural from the earth, not factory farmed, not mass produced kind of like we are eating differently and living differently. And that's definitely negatively affecting a major part of our brain development. I think that'd be a good um, conversation, too, for another episode. For sure. You know what I mean? Um, I, I definitely agree that the processed foods, if you will, are not the best thing we could be consuming. Um, but at the same time, given the global population and more specifically the population just yeah, here in again, the United it's States, super deep and complicated. It's, it's hard to produce enough food, I think, um, without mass production and, right. and what's required to do that. So it's it's really a, a fucked if you do, fucked if you don't kind yeah. of thing, I think. I think there's always a better way. But the better way is going to be harder. And yeah. people are, didn't we just discuss this? Super fucking lazy. Yeah. <laughs> for, for the most part. Yeah. People are. I mean, I know. And it I takes money am. is the truth of it. Like it takes money it and it takes labor and everyone's tired and we're already all worked too much and we don't have enough money. <laughs> so it's, it's a perpetual cycle of, yeah. 
Yeah, a lot of people who are probably um, very ambitious and very determined to take care of something um, that's bothering them don't have the resources, you know, yeah. insert whatever resource you or want. Or they, they have just enough don't have energy it. to do it for themselves. Right. Not for the entire community. Right. It's just, um, again, it's it's not an easy issue to address. It's not an easy issue to talk about. I mean, I'm sure just in this discussion, we've kind of fumbled over ourselves with things and, you know, um, we, we can only really talk strongly about what we've experienced personally. Um, but this is definitely a a multi-layered issue. There's many layers. And everybody's experience is different. Because you can always, you can end at the same result and start at a different place. Um, and you can start at the same place and end in different results. Like it, it just, it goes, it's, it's a crazy, crazy roller coaster. It definitely is. Um, I would like to see, um, our society start to discuss this issue differently, um, with more starting to, I think it is. And I want to see it continue that way. I want to see it done with more compassion and more understanding that no one of us knows everything there is to know about this. And like you said, everybody's experience is different. And the more of us that acknowledge that reality, the better off we and the discussions we have with each other will be. Well, I think this and this kind of points to another and I don't want to get like super political because Lord knows that we all hear enough politics, but um, just that's why the discussion of healthcare for everyone as a right is important because I think just us talking about it ourselves, like if you and I had both had free healthcare from early ages and our parents weren't worrying about paying bills or we aren't worrying about paying bills now as adults, like our relationship with our mental health would totally be different. Um, whenever you have it as an option to go and manage it on a regular basis. Yeah. Without getting um, overly political, at least in this episode, that will come and we'll wrap it up with this. I think that uh, regardless of how we get to it, um, health care should be treated as a right a human right. And I would like to see, to me, my taxes going up a little bit would not bother me so much if I was saving money somewhere else. Like you're, you're increasing my money here that I'm spending on my taxes, but I'm saving either as much or more money by not paying these outrageous doctor bills, hospital bills, co-pays, prescriptions, and everything else. So we can have that discussion later. We most certainly will. Yeah, we will. Um, But yeah. I did did want to throw one more thing in. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Since this is an entire conversation about mental health and how important it is to, you know, recognize it. And I I think try to look for it in yourself and look for it in others. Um, I thought it would be, you know, just a good reminder that the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is one 800 Two seven three eight two five five. So if ever there is a day where you cannot handle it or you can't talk to anybody, anybody that you talk to is going to judge you. You can't, there's just no way you can process it. And you feel like this is a place where you just need somebody to listen and understand what's going on. You don't even necessarily have to be suicidal. If you just need someone to talk to, call them. I've used it. So 800-273-8255. Just 
don't don't let pride get in the way. If you need somebody to talk to, talk to somebody there. And if you know somebody in real life, I'm sure that they would love to be there for you in the moment and give you a hug and tell you it's going to be okay. Because I think everybody needs that. Listen, my friends will tell me that I am sensitive or overly emotional or whatever because they like giving me shit. But I want to say this, and I'm absolutely serious. There is nothing wrong with needing help. We will put the link up to the National Suicide Hotline with this episode. And if you ever need to reach out, do it. Thanks for listening. Thank you.